0: okay so our old testament reading this afternoon or this sunday is going to come from the book of micah chapter 6 verses 6 through 8 with what shall i come before the lord and bow myself before god on high shall i come before him with burnt offerings with calves a year old will the lord be pleased with thousands of rams with ten thousands of rivers of oil shall i give my firstborn for my transgressions the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul, has He told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Now our New Testament reading is the entire book of Third John: "The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul for I rejoice greatly with the when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in truth I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth beloved it is a faithful thing that you do all your efforts for these brothers strangers as they are whom testify to your love before the church You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotropes, who who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God.
1: uh, thank you. Thank you for your perfect word, which never changes. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It separates us in our deepest soul, helping us see the difference between truth and lie, life and death, connection and opposition to you. Lord, would you use this word to soften our hearts, to move us and... Animate us for your kingdom purposes. Lord, this letter has much to say to our church, New City, Dallas, just as it has much to offer the world. So we are eager to hear, Lord, speak. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, I was inspired a couple weeks ago. Uh, Stephen, where that thing go? I'm going to grab this in just a moment. Um, I was inspired by Steven a few weeks ago when he, uh, he gave us a few visual aids on the, on the screen. And I thought, you know what, I, I'm going for it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a minute, a little over a minute, of a song uh, that is it's probably not that famous to us. Uh, but this song was once performed in, in front of a live audience at the Grammys. Uh, It it is a song uh, that is uh, written by the rock and roll legend Bob Dylan after his conversion to Christianity in the 80s. So uh, I don't know, it might have a little bit of the 80s vibe, but um, let me see if I can cue this up. Now, this song, Bob Dylan is not famous because he sounds nice. He does not. His his voice sounds awful. uh, But his words are powerful. And in fact, this song, uh, not only was it performed at the Grammys in front of all the other rock and roll musicians, it was also performed a few years ago by a gospel singer named Mavis Staples in front of several ex-presidents. Bill Clinton, George Bush, uh, H.W. Bush, George Bush. And so the words are powerful, aren't they? You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord. Now I want to propose substituting one word from this famous song for our sermon today. And I I want to propose that if we switch out the word serve with imitate, it's going to help us understand what John is getting at in this last letter. You're going to have to imitate somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you will imitate someone. All of us. The question is, is who? So, today is our last... Uh, sermon. It's our last time in this whole year of listening to the voice of John, the beloved apostle. We started out in uh, in Advent last December with John's account of the coming of Christ, and we've been in the Gospels all the way through, and we've gone and worked our way through the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So, in a lot of ways, this is This is not John's last book of the Bible, but this is John's last message to us. And it's a fitting way to end. It's a personal letter. Uh, Third John is written from him to one person, Gaius. Now, in in 2 John, that letter is written to an entire church, and uh, John even uses the same word, beloved beloved, in that context, and he's referring to all of y'all. But in this case, John is writing to one person, Gaius. It's a letter from the apostle to one of the leaders of this church. Very likely, this church is in Ephesus, and very likely, I told you last week, that 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John were uh, put together as a single packet with a courier or a, a deliverer, a man named Demetrius, who is in verse uh, twelve. Demetrius is very likely the messenger who brings these three packet these three messages from John who is in exile to the church which is in Ephesus. First um, John is written as though it is a teaching that is meant to be shared wide and far. Uh, it's what we call a circular letter. The, the church in Ephesus is going to read it, and then they're going to share it with uh, the church in uh, Pergamum and the church the next town over in Thyatira, and it's, it's going to circulate. Second John is written to this one specific church, and it's dealing with conflict in that church. And now, 3 John is specific guidance, apostolic guidance, for a leader who is facing a looming conflict. Conflict with this man. We we mentioned his name already several times. Uh, Let's see if we can get that. His name is um, Diatrephes. And I want to tell you a little bit about, just to give you some background on this man. Diotrephes is a member of this church. He is also someone who possesses influence, you might say power, in the church. Uh, he has exercised that power by shutting down some of the mercy ministry of that church. And he's even put people from that church out. He's expelled them, or he's caused, he's caused them to leave. He's treated them in such a way that they don't want to be part of it anymore, So he has been flexing his power, and John, the apostle, writes him a very direct note. Now, if you notice, I don't know if anyone caught this, but how many times did you read the name of Jesus in this letter? The letter doesn't mention Jesus's name once. Uh, The letter is not Highly poetic. We're not dealing with elevated doctrinal truths. This is a uh, this is a really direct, no frills letter uh, from from one worker to another. There's now there's a, there's a uh, there's no loss of love. They clearly know each other well, and there's a lot of affection there. But this is an instructional letter, and Gaius who is another leader in this church, clearly needs uh, the instruction. Um, what is the conflict? What, if, we re- if you read through it, could you get a feel for the looming conflict in the church? The, the crux of the matter is how the church is going to treat outsiders. How are the people of God going to respond to travelers who have come into their midst, and they've come with needs, and they've come from very different backgrounds, and they've come possibly with different cultures and languages even, but they've come in service to Jesus. Gaius is commended and encouraged because Gaius has been leading what we might call Christ-centered stranger love. Uh, Did you see the word in verse 3? I'm sorry, verse 5? Strangers who have been in the midst of this church have been cared for, and Gaius has been leading the Christ-centered stranger love. On the other side, John clearly rebukes Christ, uh, cold-hearted self-centeredness. Those two things are almost pitted <laughs> directly against each other. Christ-centered stranger love on the one hand or cold-hearted self-centeredness on the other. And that's interesting for us. That's interesting in our... Moment, that's interesting in our own city, that's interesting in given our own backgrounds and experiences. Self-love is antichrist. Elevating self is antichrist. But stranger love, the love and care for the outsider, this is a gospel imperative. This is this is necessary. And the problem that I really want to zero in on with you, and you know, we just we have the freedom to be honest with ourselves. This letter is so relevant to us because the bullseye of this letter is our self-love. It's our instinct towards self-love. It's our instinct towards uh, putting ourselves first. A habit which is deeply ingrained from our own forefathers, Adam and Eve, as we as we confessed earlier. Self-love is the disease that causes the breakdown in your life and in mine. Um, Here's a few quick passages. Pride comes before the fall. Proverbs 16. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord, and be assured that person will not go unpunished. Proverbs 15, the Lord tears down the house of the proud. Uh, J- New Testament wisdom from James and 1 Peter. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Pride is at the heart of the cancer in this church. Uh, verse 9 says, uh, diatre- look at verse 9 with me real quick. You see this reference to the man Diotrephes, And then it says, he likes to put himself first. That tra- that's a translation of one Greek word, one Greek word which is called philo, love. We know that Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Philo protuo, proton, pro, uh, self, love of self. Philo protuo. He's a self-lover. He uh, elevates himself. Other translations. Uh, give it, put that Greek word like this. He's a status lover. He is a, he's a self-elevating person. He likes being in charge. He likes being the boss. How similar to Diotrephes are you? How would you measure your own philo protuo, your own capacity for self-love, or your own practice of elevating self? you like to be the boss? Do you need to be in charge to dictate and enforce things for everyone else? Um, I've been humbled this week. I have been humbled as I sat with this tension between self-love and stranger love. That's, that's the tension I'm ashamed, I've been ashamed as I've meditated on my own instinct for pride and self-elevation. Not, so not self-emptying like Jesus, but self-elevating like this man. But it's, it's not just humbling that we need from introspection and looking within, because from verse 9, this practice of self-love John then goes on in verse 11 to call it something more dangerous. It's actually hostility against God. It's it's practicing evil. It's imitating evil. You're going to have to imitate somebody. It may be the devil. It may be the Lord. Now, um, one other... Thing I'd like to tell you before we jump in, because the solution, the, the preventative, so that we don't merely just avoid evil, and we don't just avoid self-love, the solution, actually, John gives us in verse 11. He says, imitate good. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> don't imitate evil, imitate good. Well, that's the, that's the solution to our problems, isn't it? The only question is, which, <laughs> this, this question is so packed with difficulty, which good are you talking about? Who's to say what is good? Uh, you, you may know this story, but uh, the search engine, Google, one of the most valuable companies in the world, do you know what their motto was? for the first 15 years of Google's existence, don't be evil. Did they were they reading Third John when they wrote that into their corporate code of conduct? This was written into their very self-understanding of who they were. Don't be evil. But that's not it's not that straightforward, is it? Who's to say what's evil? Who's to say what's good in our utterly confused day and age? Romans 1 says (laughs) in the time of Paul that truth is exchanged for a lie and what is evil is celebrated as good and what is good is celebrated as evil. Things are not different 2,000 years later, are they? Uh, In 2015, Google actually changed their own motto from don't be evil they recognized that wasn't enough to listen to what it became in 2015 do the right thing oh, this is this is progress <laughs> google's making progress but it's the same question we have to ask do the right thing according to whom according to whom what is the standard for good it's not it's not sufficient to say imitate good without Defining the substance of that good, I'm sure maybe you saw this awful attack that happened in New York over the past week, where a man who wrote a very critical book of Islam was attacked on stage and stabbed 14 times. Salman Rushdie, who was a a world-renowned author, not a great author, but he's famous. the The guy that stabbed him surely thought he was doing good. In fact, in Tehran, in the newspaper, he was praised. Listen to what one of the newspapers in Tehran said about the man who stabbed a rider. Bravo to this courageous and duty-conscious man who attacked the apostate and depraved Salman Rushdie in New York. Let us kiss the hands of the one who tore the neck of the enemy of God with a knife. The point is simply this. It's not enough to say, don't be evil, do the right thing. We have to define what we're talking about. And of course, the answer for that, even though his name is never explicitly written in this letter, the answer of who to imitate is right in front of us. It's the man that that John followed and changed his life, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the substance of good. So we're not going to say merely, simply, imitate good. We're going to say, imitate Jesus. Imitate Jesus. That's the solution to what? (laughs) To the conflicts of our lives. That's the solution to our habit and practice of self-love. The imitation of Jesus. The message that John has for this man, Gaius... Uh, leader to leader, where there is opposition, where there is xenophobia, uh, where there is power plays and conflict, the message is keep extending Christ's love. That's our. That's the big idea of Third John. It's the. That's the thing I want you to take away. If you think of anything from all the time we've spent in John. Yes, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Amen, John 3, 16. Amen, John 17. Jesus' dying prayer, God, make them one, just as you and I are one. Amen. Amen, 1 John 4. At the right time, when we were still God's enemies, he loved us. He showed his grace. He welcomed us. Amen to all of John. This is the message that we need to go away from. Keep extending Christ's love. Keep offering the love of Jesus. Keep putting the love and welcome of Jesus out there. All right. Just two things, two more ways to break that down. Continue to extend the love of Christ we're going to do that by, you're not going to be surprised, imitating Jesus and resisting evil. All right, So I do want to talk about a few more things in this passage that's going to, that are going to help us, I think, as we look ahead to the fall, as we look ahead to, it's not easy to follow Jesus. It's becoming less easy to do that. And opposition often comes from the place you least expect it, often from people that are nearest to you. So how do we extend Jesus' love? We imitate him. Um, that is a crucial part of this counsel John the Apostle gives to Gaius. Um, and just to say, this is, not just, this is not just like a boss writing with uh, only conviction. This is a boss writing with love. Three times in the passage he addresses Gaius, John addresses Bias, As his beloved he opens up this letter by by uh, celebrating and and testifying to the love of this church that was concrete that was real Uh, it was real for the people who came to John these strangers who made their way from from Gaius's church Uh, they crossed the sea and they actually came to see John on the island where he was in exile. You know, John, while he's writing this, is not a free man. Uh, He's in prison. He's not able to move freely. What's incredible is that these foreign strangers who have been traveling throughout uh, the land of modern-day Turkey, these guys visited the church in Ephesus, and they received Christ-centered stranger love from the church and it was so moving to them that when they finally arrived on another island to see the Apostle John, the first thing they did was they testified about the welcome they received from those incredible Rwandans. That incredible Rwandan hospitality. When we showed up to their church, we were welcomed. That incredible Uruk hospitality. When we, were, when we showed up for the wedding They made us feel like we were kings. That unbelievable Korean honor that was bestowed on us. We were total strangers. But look at how they loved us, John. It says in verse 3, I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth because you're walking in the truth. And I have no greater joy than to hear that my, my children are walking in the truth. These these Christians have been imitating Jesus. They have been loving strangers, caring for traveling missionaries. Uh, they have... This, this is an essential part. You know that there were not very many Christians after Jesus. Yes, Pentecost happened, and there were 3,000 people who started following Christ. But this is a small, tiny little movement, and it, it required... People traveling all over, all over the Mediterranean world, all over uh, the Near East, all over Africa to share the good news of Jesus. And when those travelers came into a new town, well, what happens when you've traveled to a new town? What happens when you've been the stranger, when you're the outsider and you don't know the language and you don't know where, where are we going to sleep tonight, where are we going to find food, where are we going to find shelter? We've got one of the members of our party who has this lingering sickness. Can somebody help us with this brother's health? These strangers were cared for. These strangers were loved. Um, the word, we talk about this word a lot at New City. They were, it, it's stranger love. Philoxenos the opposite is our, our English word we still use today, xenophobia. That's stranger hate. That's stranger distance. Stranger love is the way of the people of Jesus. And this church has been imitating them. They, it says they sent uh, the church, Gaius's church, sent out the strangers. They sent out the travelers. And they were cared for. They, um, it says they went out you will do well uh, in verse six you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of god and they've gone out for the sake of the name and they're not receiving anything from the gentiles they are not wealthy people they do not have much and they're not looking for much but this church gave them food gave them shelter gave them even more important than the material provision The material provision is very important. But even more important within that is the spirit that they were welcomed with. We're so glad you brothers are here. Tell us about how you're seeing God work. We're eager to know what the Lord is doing among your people. Where have you seen him? Surprise and shock and Change. How are you experiencing the love of Christ? And I want you to know, <laughs> these brothers, these strangers, who are working for the truth, who are doing it for the sake of Jesus' name and not their own, John affirms, John celebrates the care that they've received, the <laughs> philoxenos the stranger love that has been given to them. when you have been the outsider, I think all of us have been, have felt like a stranger, right? You've been in the place where you don't know the language and you don't know the culture and you do feel very different. We know what that feels like. What did it do for you when someone who belonged in that place welcomed you? When they said, I'm glad you're here. Why don't you come with me? Why don't you eat with me? Hey, we're having a gathering. I'd love for you to be there. We're going to play soccer. Do you want to come play with us? That's what my Bulgarian roommate did for me when I lived in Spain. He said, come on, come and play soccer with us. He welcomed me. I was, <laughs> I was really outside of my comfort zone. How have you been welcomed when you've been the stranger? And what did that do to your heart? Did that, how did that touch you? This is the manifestation and the embodiment of Jesus. It's the imitation of Jesus. Um, we heard a story this weekend about uh, a church, another, you know there's another new city church in Dallas and it's way up north in a little town called Salina. Has anyone ever been to Salina. It goes Plano, Frisco, Prosper, Salina. So this is far north from us. New City, Salina. And that's, that is a new city. It's gone from a population of 2,000 people to 30,000 people. They have a different meaning for a new city than us. Uh, but we heard a great story about how that church, a small church, a little bit bigger than ours, welcomed refugees from Ukraine, Uh, this Ukrainian family escaped from Odessa, and they crossed, they uh, they were able to get out of Ukraine and into Poland, and from Poland into Germany. And from Germany, they caught a flight and flew to Madrid, Spain. And from Spain, they were trying to get a flight to the United States, they couldn't do it. So they flew from Spain to Mexico City. And in Mexico City, they went from Mexico City to Tijuana, uh, which is just south of the border of San Diego. And they crossed, f- physically crossed the American border into San Diego. And then they bought a plane ticket and flew from San Diego to Salina, Texas. These Ukra- It's a Ukrainian family that's escaped war. And y'all have some <laughs> similar story. And when they showed up on Monday, Thursday because there was already one Ukrainian woman at that church. When that Ukrainian family showed up on Monday, Monday Thursday, they were welcomed. They were embraced. They immediately had, when people found out, this is a family from Ukraine? In this tiny little Texas town of Salina? What can we do? How can we help? And they immediately organized, they they found clothes for them. They figured out how to get the family into school. They, the, the husband had a job a week later through a connection in the church. They were embraced. How beautiful is that? And how much does that, has that touched your heart? This is not just a, a warm, sentimental story. This identification with the stranger, this love of the stranger goes right to the heart of Jesus' own heart. Many of you know the story uh, when Jesus is about to go to the cross to be crucified, and he's talking to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. And he tells them the story from Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and the angels with him, And he will sit on his glorious throne. And before this king, all the nations will be gathered. And he's going to separate his people. He's going to separate the people from those that follow him and know him, from those who don't. And he's going to separate them. And he's going to tell the people that belong to him, come, you who are blessed by my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And you know what Jesus says next. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will say, really? (laughs) Lord, when did we see you? And he says, the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the least one of these my brothers, so you did it to me. Do you hear that identification with the stranger? Jesus says, I was the stranger. Now, that is beautiful. Find me any religion where the king, in all of his glory, becomes the outsider, the stranger, the The throwaway, the trash, the overlooked, the forgotten, the hated. Do you know what Jesus does? Jesus imitates us. Jesus imitates us because that's what we were to God. We were aliens to him. We were separated from him. We had no hope and no prayer of getting near to him because of our sin. And, but Jesus identified with us at the right time, like John's 1 John 4, at the right time, while you were outside, while you were outside of my grace, while you were enemies, at the right time, I, I brought you in. I made you my own. I welcomed you. Jesus imitates us, poor, outcast, despised, forgotten, overlooked, unimpressive. And he identifies with us in his incarnation. That's how God come, becomes a stranger, isn't it? He doesn't refuse us. He welcomes us. And, and our, uh, our own confession of faith calls that part of his humiliation. He willingly, joyfully, gladly took on the humiliation of becoming the ultimate reject, the ultimate outsider who died alone on the cross, except the women who were there, and John was there. John was there watching. We get this so wrong. (laughs) John was there watching his king be rejected. And this is where the imitation of Jesus actually makes a difference. It's right here. I can This is so cool that, that the kids are, are studying this passage today. Because right before Jesus went to the cross the night before, the night before he broke the bread and poured the juice, what did he do? He washed the feet. He washed the feet and he told his disciples, John 13, 35, do you understand what I've done for you? I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. Just like Jesus came to us, just like Jesus became the stranger, just like Jesus became the outsider to welcome us who were actually separated from him and brings us in and washes us and then makes us belong and gives us a seat, a welcome, a deserved seat at the table. What does he call us to do? He calls us to imitate him. Not to get comfortable, not to make our names great, but to go to take the the lowest seat, to wash the feet, to lay down our lives, to empty ourselves, to go to him outside the gates, to go and become a stranger, to extend Christ's love to the most vulnerable. They're the test case for whether or not we understand what Jesus has done for us. So, extend love by imitating Jesus. Extend love by also resisting evil. And we're going to be brief on this, because we've already talked about this man, Diotrephes, and his uh, Philoprotuo. He cannot zenos. He can't love the stranger because he's too busy. Uh, can you say it, Rasha? philo protuo you know a greek you know a good greek word to know this man cannot love the stranger he can't respond to god with, with, with understanding because he is too self absorbed you see the beauty and the, the radical difference between philo protuo and philo xenos, don't you Self-love versus stranger love. Um, This Look at the effect of self-love in this church. Look at the destruction that this has among the family of God. I don't know how big the church is in Ephesus. We already know from 1 John that many have gone out and left. And maybe it's directly due to some of the dissent, some of the conflict that this guy has been leading. He likes to put himself first. That's his baseline. That's his default. That's his way of relating to the world, elevating self. And in doing that, what does he do? He rejects rightful authority. He's rejecting the, man, the one man who saw Jesus die on the cross. He's rejecting the one that Jesus called my beloved. He's rejecting one of the pillars of The Church of Jesus. He will not only reject rightful authority, but he also talks. uh, In verse ten, it says he talks wicked nonsense. A more graphic way of saying that is he 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 tells low down dirty lies that are wicked. They're not just they're not just casual little suggestions. These are outright. This is outright evil wickedness but it's it doesn't stop with that does it what's the effect of this habit and this this spirit in the people of God he tries to shut down stranger love he actually he actually closes the door on the very vulnerable people who Gaius is trying to help he ends the mercy ministry and he doesn't stop there he goes on a rampage, and he kicks those people out. This is a stark, stark division. And John is writing very clearly to show the difference between stranger love, self-love, imitating Jesus, or imitating the Antichrist. Let <sighs> me talk about opposition for a minute. I think everyone knows at some level, I think every follower of Jesus knows at some level that we will have trials, that we will have uh, temptations, certainly private things that we deal with, and I think in general we have an expectation that, yeah, the the world may think we're foolish, or we may feel ashamed in certain contexts for being identified as a Christian, but when the people that you are closest with turn on you when those who are professing believers that you have broken bread with that you've been part of caring for the refugee alongside when you have labored together and wept together opposition can come from the least expected places Jesus' own family said he has a demon. His own disciples turned their back on him. Paul Paul was being turned back on by Peter, by, by Barnabas, who had been his companion in the first missionary journey. Even Barnabas was led astray by the deceivers. Uh, the, the Judaizers who said, no, if you want to be a real follower of Jesus, you have to become a Jew before you become a Christian. Opposition comes from often the least expected places, the nearest places. And you know who knew that better than anybody? Gaius is receiving this counsel, this instruction from a man who had himself betrayed Jesus. Now I know I said that John is there at the cross. Jesus addresses him. So there is faithfulness there, but, but John is the same man who, knew, who knows something about xenophobia. And, um, in Luke 9, after Jesus has been transfigured, and as Jesus has predicted, three times that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer, and now they're on their way to Jerusalem, and they pass through Samaria. When you hear Samaria in the Bible, what do you think? Enemy territory, our ancient rival, our ancient foe, Tutsi Hutu, black-white, whatever the divide is, this one, (laughs) the Gentile Jew one, that divide is one of the most entrenched. And when they pass through Samaria, the the Samaritan town that they go through does not welcome Jesus. Uh, Jesus (laughs) has been receiving huge crowds. And the same Jesus that's about to commission them and send them on a mission to the Samaritans, when Jesus is dishonored and not welcomed by the Samaritans, you know what John says? Master, should we... Should we call down fire on them? Should we should, would you like us now to rain? That's why they, John, Jesus called them sons of thunder. These, their nickname was these, these were the hotheads. John. Xenophobic John. But John doesn't know, just know something about xenophobia. He also knows something about Philo Protuo. About self-love. And Mark right before Jesus is about to enter into Jerusalem. A few days, a few weeks after this episode with John in Samaria, they're about to walk into Jerusalem. And John and James, the brothers, the sons of thunder, they corner Jesus. And you all probably remember what, how the conversation goes. They corner Jesus. And Jesus has been talking about, if anyone must follow me, let him deny himself. Let him empty himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. James and John hear all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, now that we got you in private, why don't you, will you save us a seat on your right and left in eternity? Will you reserve for us, not the highest seat, Jesus, that's yours, but the next highest. Will you Will you elevate us? John also knows something about self-love, doesn't he? And Jesus says, the Son of Man, even the Son of Man, even the great King, he did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So That's Jesus' response to John's self-love, and it's Jesus' response to you and I. It's easy to point the finger and say, look at this man, Diatrephes. He's so puffed up. He's so proud. Pride comes before the fall. Get him, Jesus. Get him, John. But John has been that man. John has been that proud, puffed up, self-elevating guy. And Jesus says, look at me. Resist evil by looking at me. The son of man, the king, he came to give his life a way, not to be served, but to serve, to wash feet. Do you understand what I've done for you? So also you should do good. Romans 12, don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil by doing good. Protestants are afraid of talking about imitating Jesus. We remember and we know that none of our actions can save us from our sins. Jesus has done that. But then he calls us to follow him, to imitate him, to act like him, to love like him, to extend grace like him, to continue to pursue the lost, the lame, the proud. The hurt, even enemies. Now we can't change anyone. But you know what softens the hardest of hearts? It's the sight of the king bleeding, bleeding out, proving his love and demonstrating, embodying, extending to the utmost. Who will you imitate? Who will we imitate? It may be the devil, but let it be the Lord, because we're going to imitate somebody. Pray with me. O Lord, you who sit enthroned on high, you who led a host of captives in triumphal victory, you who prepare a feast before your enemies in their face, seeming to mock them in their proud resistance to you. O oh, Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you and praise you that you are abundantly gentle, abundantly patient, abundantly prayerful, abundantly loving, abundantly united to the source. You are the author and perfecter of our faith, and we confess our feeble faith. And we confess so often we don't want to even begin to love. And we confess so much of our lives is occupied with philo pro Lord, we don't want to put ourselves first anymore. We want to put you first. Because you became Last because you became least, because you became the stranger, because that was the way that you would win us over and wake us up and help us stop loving ourselves and start beginning to love you. God, you who began the good work in us, would you surely bring it to completion. We pray that you would encourage us with the gospel, that even as you could so transform and rehabilitate a self-centered man like John. What can you do with us? What must you do with us together? God, this is our prayer, and we worship and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.